If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. One of the things that I have probably asked myself a lot more this year than probably any other year of my life is when will all of this end? That one question I've probably asked myself more frequently this year than any other year of my life. I think it's difficult this year as we look at the landscape of our nation and the world to ask, can it ever get back to what it was like? Can this suffering that we're experiencing end? Can this difficulty that it seems every week we're going through come to an end? Well, believer, I really don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I want to encourage you, but I want you to live in reality. There is always suffering. There is always suffering. We've had a good in this country. We've had a lot of things going our way because we've lived in America. We've had a lot of things go our way because we haven't had to worry about where we're going to get our next meal. And we've had a lot of things go our way simply because God decided to bless this nation. This morning, as we look at this text here in Romans chapter 8, we're going to ask the question and answer this question, Lord willing. Is there good in suffering? Is there good in suffering? We're going to look at three specific things in this text. Number one, the frustration in suffering, verses 18 through 25. Number two, the help of the Holy Spirit, verses 26 through 27. And number three, the working together for good, verses 28 through 30. Let's begin with number one, the frustration in suffering, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You see, Paul tells us clearly that suffering is to be expected in our present condition. All of creation, because of the fall, is waiting for the day that it will all be whole once again. In fact, they're waiting for the clear revelation or revealing of the sons of God. Never on this earth will creation reach perfection before Christ returns. 
It is subjected to futility, as verse 20 clearly states. This is actually against the will of nature and man. None of us want suffering, but it's here. And you and I need to learn to navigate through that suffering. In fact, everyone experiences suffering, including the animal kingdom. If there's one thing that the world can more clearly see this year than most probably is that suffering is here and it affects all of us. There's an incredible amount of suffering this year. There's a suffering through a virus that we've never experienced before. In fact, many have health problems that will probably follow them for the rest of their lives. Some have lost loved ones without being able to hold a proper funeral or memorial service. Some have suffered real anguish and pain emotionally with relationships with others that have also suffered. They feel isolated. In fact, one of the saddest articles I've probably read the last couple of weeks was one that had a group of elderly nursing home patients that held signs that said, rather die from COVID than from loneliness. That's the suffering that's going on right now. Our children are hurting in school without interaction with others. Their grades are suffering. They're depressed, hurting, wondering why they can't have a connection with others. There's a lot of stress and anxiety in many of our families. We just all want this to end, don't we? Well, see, there's also another suffering that happens. Some of us may not be experiencing it this year, but we've experienced this in the past. Suffering from foolish choices that we've made. Everyone that's ever made a terrible decision has faced the consequences of that decision. Although some decisions have devastated us and in pain, we respond. We didn't think it was a big deal to buy what we couldn't afford, now only to struggle for years to pay it off. We didn't think that person we got into a relationship with was going to turn out the way they are today. We wish we made a better choice sometimes. In some cases, suffering due to poor decisions we've made has taught us that we just keep moving forward as best as we can, but because we're creatures of habit, we make another terrible decision. In fact, many of us, instead of looking to Scripture, follow up a poor decision with another poor decision. That's the reason why many eat more, drink more, turn to drugs, get into more debt, do anything they can to make the suffering go away from their poor decisions. And everything that they go through they don't realize they've just added to the suffering. I believe there's also another type of suffering that we experience. It's a suffering from a lack of perspective. Let me explain what I mean here. Many of us suffer because we don't see what God sees. Which we'll actually talk about here in a little bit. We suffer unnecessarily because we see others and think they got the better bargain than we did. 
their kids, their kids are more behaved, well-behaved than ours are. Their spouse seems sweeter than our spouse. Their job makes them more money than mine. They have it all together on Facebook, right? Although I think uh, there's not as much vanity on Facebook this year. There's one thing that's actually been a good thing is there's not as much vanity on Facebook this year. Whatever it is, we may very well be lacking perspective. And because we're seeing it through a finite worldview, we go through even more suffering than we would have originally thought. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about suffering. Part of every misery is, so to speak, the misery's shadow or reflection. The fact that you don't merely suffer but have to keep on thinking about the fact that you suffer. I not only live each endless day in grief, but live each day thinking about living each day in grief. You see, Paul is saying here that the sufferings of this present time, what we're suffering through right now, nothing compared to the glory that will one day be revealed. All of creation's waiting for this. In fact, in verse 23, we've been given the best thing when it comes to dealing with suffering. We've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who helps us endure sin and suffering. We don't get to eliminate suffering, believer. It's there whether you want it or not. In fact, another translation says in verse 20 that against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. No one has an option to eliminate suffering. We can try to alleviate it, but we can't eliminate it. Those of us that have trusted Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, who is a foretaste of that glory that will one day be revealed. Both believers, those that are disciples of Jesus Christ, and unbelievers have suffering in this life. The difference is what the believer possesses is the Holy Spirit that helps us in our suffering and struggle with sin. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says about suffering as well here. He says, We all know people who have been made much meaner and more irritable and more intolerable to live with by suffering. It is not right to say that all suffering perfects. It only perfects one type of person, the one who accepts the call of God in Christ Jesus. I think there's a lot to think through here. We go through suffering knowing there's more to all of this than this life. There's eternity, believer. All of this is made more clear to us by the help and intercession of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's read verses 26 through 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. 
because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The huge advantage that you and I have, believer, over everyone else in the world is that we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us in our suffering and in our weakness, as this text says. In fact, when we read the rest of Scripture, we clearly see many of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us new birth. In John chapter 3, we're born again of the Spirit. Our will is enslaved to sin. The Holy Spirit convicts and regenerates our hearts. Just like you didn't have anything to do with your physical birth, you have nothing to do with your spiritual birth. That is all of power and product of the Holy Spirit. Number two, one of the other things that the Holy Spirit does for us, if we were to look throughout Scripture, there's a lot of other ones, but we're going to deal with just a few here. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's given to us to reveal spiritual things. You value the Word of God, believer, because the Holy Spirit has enabled you to value the Word of God. In fact, if it was up to us, we would find a lot of this absolutely foolish. The Holy Spirit-filled believer trusts God's word is correct, and they can't necessarily trust what they themselves think. Number three, the Holy Spirit helps us overcome temptation. In Galatians 5, we specifically see this in verse 16, that the Holy Spirit is the one that we rely on when dealing with struggles with sin. We don't take the battle on without using the sword of the Spirit. Else we're fighting weaponless. Imagine going to war without a weapon. It's not going to benefit you much. Number four, the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, grows us in grace. The Holy Spirit produces us in us a kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all things that the Holy Spirit produces in us. If you find yourself growing in bitterness, anger, selfishness, envy, hostility, you're probably not letting the Holy Spirit work in your heart. It's a real possibility that you've walked with God for years and you've only grown further apart from God and not realized it. In fact, Scripture actually says that you can grieve the Holy Spirit and even quench the Holy Spirit. You can act like he doesn't exist. Some of us do that with those that we are supposedly closest to. And number five, here's what we're going to be talking about here. He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. It says here that the Holy Spirit helps in our weakness. The idea here is our limitations as fallen man. What's presented here is when we pray, we probably know what we would like to pray for, but we don't know exactly how to communicate it in words. Have you ever had that? Have you ever tried to pray, and you've been hurting so deeply, and you don't know what to say? You don't even know what to pray. It is in that moment that the Holy Spirit takes and intercedes on your behalf. 
when we're absolutely crushed by suffering in this life, and we don't even know how to put it into words, the Holy Spirit takes it to the Father and intercedes on our behalf. I want you to think of a picture of a little child that wants to ask for something, but they've just started talking, and they don't know exactly how to say it, but mom makes the translation and tells dad, get him some juice. All of us that are followers of Christ come to a place in our lives where we don't even know what to pray for in that situation we're dealing with. And it is usually in the time of our lives where we're going through the most suffering. When we don't know what to do about the situation we're facing. The loved one that's far away from God that we're praying for, and we don't know what to say. The family member on their deathbed. This precisely, believers, when the Holy Spirit comes to intercede on your behalf and finishes the prayer, if you will, before the Father. This right here is where we can be assured that it will all work out for good. Number three, the working together for good, verses 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. From whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Because we know that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, believer, we can be assured that all these things in our lives are working together for good. We might ask ourselves the question, what does Paul mean by good here? I think another question to ask is the definition of good our definition or God's? You see, if you and I were to define good, we would define it differently. All of us would. For some, being healthy, that's good. Being rich, that's good. Being strong, that's good. Being happy, that's good we'd all come up with different definitions of what we believe is good. What's interesting is Jesus makes the statement in Mark chapter 10 that no one is good but God. So God is the one that gets to define what good is. In fact, all the good things in this life that you and I have are for us to enjoy as a gift from him. He is a good father. And he gives us good gifts. The problem, the problem many of us face with this text is probably the two words that make it very difficult. All things. All things. All things work together for good. Wait a second, that just sounds absolutely terrible, doesn't it? That sounds absolutely terrible. 
you mean the abuse as a child? That's good. You mean that painful divorce? That's good. You mean the loss of a job or even a home? That's good. Or the death of a family member? That's supposed to be good. If this is good, I don't think anybody wants a part of that, right? It doesn't say that all these things are good, believer. It says that all these things, every event in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ works together for good. Because the, the good is ultimately conformity to Christ. That's the good that we don't see many times. You wouldn't have cared so much about your faith, mom or dad, in raising your children for God if what happened in your life when you were a young boy or girl did not happen. And some of you know that to be true. You wouldn't have cared what others are going through in their pain if you didn't experience that same pain yourself. You, we wouldn't have started this Christian school if God hadn't laid it on pastor's heart to see what was coming. Believer, you need to understand that whatever is going on in life right now, in this world, it's working together for good. Just like every other year of your life, God is working it together for good. If you are loved by God, you have nothing to fear. There is a process that God has already set out for all of his children. It is a done deal, believer. For whom he did foreknow. These are persons. These are not decisions that he's talking about here. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn, the supreme among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. In whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's a done deal, believer. What God has started in your life, he's going to complete it. The part of the process that's being currently worked on is your sanctification. And that is why the Holy Spirit is so essential in helping us when we pray and to see that all the circumstances in our lives are working together for our good. The incredible thing is that every disciple of Jesus Christ is already seen as already glorified fully conformed to the image of Christ. The worst among us, God already sees in the light of his son. Yeah, grace is not fair. It's undeserved. So believer, how do you respond to suffering? How do I respond to suffering? I don't think there's any better way to respond to suffering than what Paul says next. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? The suffering in life. The hardships. If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, believer, there was suffering that Jesus went through for you and me. There was suffering that he went through for you and me. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You have the Holy Spirit making intercession for you, believer. And you have Jesus Christ also making intercession for you. You're not lost. You can be secure. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. It is not going to be easy in this life, believer. You've got real suffering still ahead of you. Some of us have not experienced it to the level that others have. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, the future that you're afraid of, believer, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul wrote the conclusion for the sermon this morning. God the Father in his divine plan determined in advance that his son, Jesus Christ, would suffer on our behalf and also intercede on our behalf, conquering sin and death. Nothing, believer, can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Let's go to prayer.